going to start out episode 247 of Canada's Super Duper Pinball Podcast by asking someone in the pinball world a simple question. We're actually going to ask Christopher Franchi how many pinball podcast shows he's going to do in a single year. Hold on, I'm going to get him for you right now. Hey, Chris, how many pinball shows can you possibly do in one year? 10, what is he 11, doing? 12, You'll never 13, get anything this way. 14, 15, 16, I'm sorry. 17, I'm 18, sorry, sir. 19. I think he's going to set the record for the most pinball podcast interviews done in one year, but we'll see. He's still got about like another 10 to go. So um, I kid, I kid. Anyway, so here's what we're going to do on episode 247 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I will read some of the emails I've received since my last podcast where we talked a little bit about a secret new game. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about some stern issues that I'm seeing on the forum. Um, We'll cover what's going on in some of the other manufacturer worlds. Not too much is going on. It's the summertime. Uh, I do want to read someone's comment that I I love it because I know they know I read pen size. So when people really want to communicate to me, uh, they don't email me. They don't ever want to come on the show. They have to write these long tirades on Pinside about a certain podcaster. So I want to read about what someone wrote in the Big Lebowski thread, which I think is just hysterical when I read this, what this person is claiming. Uh, and then and then I'm going to let you have your evenings or your mornings or your day back. So we're going to do it like that, all right? So here's what I want to talk about first. So if you go into... Uh, there's an ACDC Lucy thread on Pinside where someone is having a quality control issue, okay? And I, I know that we sometimes can harp about stern quality and are the games being built as well as they used to have been built? And stern makes thousands of games, right? So it's always really hard to tell if the quality control issues that people do talk about on Pinside are widespread or it's just a few people who might have received stuff that has an issue. And it's it's impossible because I also think the majority of people who buy Stern pinball machines are not on Pinside. They wouldn't even notice an issue if it occurred and they're not going to complain about every dimple. And if their playfield chipped on their pinball machine that's inside their game room and they're not an OCD collector fanatic, they'll never give a shit and they'll never report on it and we'll never hear about it. Uh, or there might just be hardly any issues that hit most of the Stern machines that go out there. Uh, but as someone who uh, is also having a quality control issue on a $100,000 car, the stitching on my Dodge Demon steering wheel is coming undone a little bit, uh, stuff happens. Stuff happens. Now, now, when it comes to identifying a problem on pin side, that's where it just gets interesting because it's easy to highlight one person's game and, and then just blanket assault or insult Stern as being you know a company that's just cutting corners. But I want to talk about the issue this person is having. So they have an ACDC Lucy that is five years old that has about 1,063 plays on it. And they looked at their lower play field and on it, to their chagrin, they saw that the lower play field had a chip. It looked about the size of like half of a penny. Uh, some of the artwork had come off and, and fallen down. And so we all know what happens when your play field chips and an area starts to wear like that, it's going to continue to wear. Now, 
it's in a lower playfield section of ACDC that's five years old. So he contacts Stern, and Stern tells him the game is past the 90-day warranty period on the title, right? It's five years old. And they are not going to replace the lower playfield for free. So that led to some of a discussion of should a manufacturer stand behind its product beyond the warranty period? And I have to say no. Like, we, come on. You can't expect companies who provide a warranty to cover an item that is five years old and is far past the warranty period of coverage. That's just, that's not fair. It's not fair to expect Stern to give you something for free. Uh, it's also not a huge humongous problem. It's probably a little bit hard to mylar that area because you have the lower playfield. I think it's a little bit difficult. Uh, I think it just, I think it swaps out in that one. Now, this is why Stern in the new ACDC Lucy Vault Edition, they included the screws on the top of the playfield. Uh, so I think you could, you know, clean the, the plexi that was fogging up or you could get access to the lower playfield easier than before. Um, okay, but back to what we're talking about. So they were in their right not to replace the part. Now, the thing is this. If this guy wants a new lower playfield, he should just go buy one. I mean, they're available. You can go get it. It's going to cost you a few hundred bucks and if and, and problem solved. Uh, but I don't think Stern should do anything for someone who has a game that old. It's just just not 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 fair. They because then everyone who's got games that are old, who has wear and tear happening, would expect to have the same type of treatment. So I think there's that. I also think 90 days for a warranty period on a pinball machine is really short. Like, can we talk about that? 90 days. That's not a lot of time to warranty the stuff that's in a game, and especially because these games now are somewhat costing the price of a cheap car, I would expect the manufacturers to stand behind uh, the products longer than that. So I would, I would argue that I don't think we get enough warranty in modern pinball machines. And I also think stuff like cabinets, and we see the cabinets cracking, 90 days, I, I, a pinball cabinet should never crack. I would love to see a pinball cabinet have at least like a, a year or two year warranty that it won't crack. Uh, when you own it, uh, but you know people throw their games around, and, and and Stern is probably looking at this thing like, once we've got your money, once it's out the door, uh, you know we ha we'll have 90 days probably to cover more of like just electronics and things that could go wrong. But then we want to be clear of any any reliability um, or coverage that we have to provide. So, but here's the thing where the thread got interesting. So then someone with a brand new ACDC like vault edition posted an image of their ACDC Lucy vault lower playfield, and they took the picture from like an angle and it has got to be, if you go look at this thread, it has got to be the worst clear coding job I've ever seen on a new inbox pinball machine. And there's just absolutely no excuse for that. I mean, it looks like they clear coded the lower play field and then hung it on the wall and all the clear coats started to slide down and bubble up. Almost looks like a tangerine, someone said. Uh, clear coat job. And then also on the edges of the lower play field, the clear coat is just horrible. There's just like creases on it. And so you have to wonder... 
what the quality control inspection is like. How could that get into the game? Like if you even just ran your hand across that person's lower play field, uh, it would be it would not feel flat. It would not feel like it should go into someone's game. And you know, I know it's hard. Like I know it's hard. Like because Stern doesn't do the clear coding in house. Right, they're getting a vendor to do the work. They're they're opening up a box. Imagine opening up a box, and there's 50 lower playfields in each box, and there's hundreds of lower playfields because you just sold 1,000 of these things or 500 of these things, or God forbid, like you sell 5,000 Star Wars. Every single one, every single one, um, is not going to be perfect. Uh, but but we pay a lot for these games. We pay a lot. And Stern has all of these employees and they have this huge factory and they have uh, people that should be inspecting these games to the point where stuff like that doesn't go into the game. So the good news on that person's game is Stern took the game back and they clearly saw that that game shouldn't have gone out and they took the game back or the distributor took the game back. And that's the other thing. In all these threads, whenever something happens with a Stern game, where they are liable to cover or stand behind the product within the warranty period, here's what they always do. They always take care of the person. Now, I know the Ghostbusters delay on swapping out playfields was an unforeseen nightmare for them. I mean, that is that had to have been the biggest clusterfuck nightmare for Stern uh, that in any manufacturer that has to swap out entire populated playfields to hundreds of people or you know a couple hundred people's machines or a hundred even a hundred people think about the the nightmare that that was and and I don't know if people are still waiting for their ghostbusters playfields but I think because I don't read people talk about it I think they've they've taken care of everybody so the the takeaway here is stern quality I think it's always going to be a little bit of a question mark. I think you're always going to not know exactly what you're going to get in your game. Like some people's cabinets split immediately. Some people's don't. Some people have clear code issues. Some don't. Um, but here's the good news. They'll take care of you. They they just will. And I have to give credit where credit's due on, on that point. Um, would I like these games to uh, you know come with brackets inside the cabinets? How expensive is that to do? It's, see, that's the thing that people harp on is they can clearly see where Stern could go a little bit further in protecting these games and making them more reliable. And when you don't see stuff like that, like why aren't they using metal brackets within the cabinets? It leads people to say, hey, look, it's all about the bottom line. They're cutting corners. Uh, and I just think it'd be less of a headache for Stern if they would look at stuff like that and just do it in every game. Like, wouldn't you just rather do that than have to be uh, servicing people's cracked cabinets? That's got to be more expensive in the long run, uh, if you ask me. All right, what else is going on in Stern world? Uh, Batman 66, nothing much. People are waiting for code. I think people are like gotten to the point now in Batman where there's nothing else to do but nitpick now <laughs> with some of this stuff. I saw someone, they talked about how when, I think it's like the image of City Hall pops up on the Batman TV screen. Uh, there's two black bars. It's like the only visual that isn't formatted properly to the TV screen. So we'll see if Stern 
adjust that aspect ratio, but literally that's as stupid <laughs> and nitpicky as we're getting. I've never noticed that. I've owned Batman now for like almost a year. I've actually never noticed or been annoyed by that once. Um, what else is going on in Stern World? Uh, the Munsters continues to be the one that people are speculating on and getting excited about. Here's my thing with the Munsters. I'm really excited about it. It's going to probably look fantastic. John Borg is going around telling people that it's like one of his favorite and best designed games. I don't know who's coding the game. We do know Stern has hired a lot of coders, so I do expect the Munsters to ship with fairly uh, complete code. I, I don't think we're going to get like another Batman situation going. Uh, but I have not seen anything on the Munsters in terms of play field or design. I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on on that aspect of the game. I do know the game's coming out because uh, you know it's just it's as good as confirmed in terms of what I know. But in, as far as the game itself, it's a complete mystery to me. And that's exciting. I do like not having images leaked early and spoiling seeing what the final product is like. It's like, when, remember when Ghostbusters leaked it? Like, kind of took all the fun out of it. It also made people run and order one immediately because they saw Zombie Yeti's incredible artwork. All right, what else is going on? Nothing else in Stern World other than Stern continues to sell a ton of games. Um, Spooky Pinball. Alice Cooper, game number one, went out and ended June. It went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, they've People are, are, are getting a little anxious, and I can tell that. Uh, it looks like they're at least in the 400 and something sold of the game. Uh, I'm not sure if they're doing sales in numerical order, but I think they do. So I do think we're getting close to the game being sold out or spoken for of, of, of you know 500 names being on a list, 50 of which are going, I believe, to an Alice Cooper charity that they're going to auction off, which is really cool. So 500 people, it's got to feel good for Chuck. It's got to feel good. You know why? Because Chuck is in a place now where he can really wait until they're old, like really, really satisfied to put that game into customer number one's hands in their home because dialed in, and not dialed in, sorry, total nuclear annihilation is on the line. And whenever you have a boutique company, you just always need everyone there to be working, right? It's the overhead is what kills these companies. That is why when when you know when you have like Jack is suffering on getting the new game on a line or you know like American Pinball is going to go through this when they transition to game 2, are Houdini's still being ordered? Are they still selling enough to keep all the people there working? You know what's going on right now over at Chicago Gaming Company? Are people still ordering Attack from Mars? games and medieval madness games or are distributors like stocked up enough where like new orders are not coming in right i still see these games for sale from distributors so that's the key the key to pinball survival is you need to have your employees working and you need to always be making games when you have a factory and so Chuck is in a great place with TNA on the line okay so what else is going on so i like that charlie's just like you know what Everyone, like, we're going to start production. Rock on. Rock on. Hold on. Brenda. Brenda's over trying. I fed Bubba. He's fed. Got a little personal uh, little personal news here on Pineda's Pinball Podcast. He's fed. He's okay. We're going to finish the show. We're going to go have a great dinner. Love you. All right. Were you just trying to get him to rub his belly? Okay. So back to the show, people. Um, so JJ, JJP, we're still waiting for Pirates of the Caribbean production to begin. Um, it's interesting. It's not really interesting. It's just the delay is what it is. 
it is what it is. I've said my piece on Pirates of the Caribbean. You know how I feel about the game. Uh, I I, I want to play one. I, I I bet I'll enjoy it. I bet I'll enjoy it. It's you know what's just what's really the thing to me, and I want to discuss this because I'm you know look we're in the summertime, people. There's not a lot of news, so I'm not. I, there's not so much I can dig up or manufacture to entertain you. But here's what I want to talk about with JJP today. I want to talk about collector's edition. And what really makes sense when you're asking $12,500 for a game? And do you even think a collector's edition makes any sense for Jersey Jack Pinball? Uh, and why do you think it, it is even like an option? And clearly, like Jack Saw Stern just constantly makes money on these LE trims on hot titles. And it, it's like, take my money now, take my money now. Like they sold out of Iron Maiden LEs like that. Like they sold out of Ghostbusters LEs like that. They probably sold every single Star Wars LE where well, there was like 800 of them like that, right? Not the case for Guardians, you know, not the case for like WWE and some other titles. But at, you know what I'm saying? And Jack probably saw the $15,000 Batman Super LE and was like, I can do this. Uh, and so we have the collector's editions. Now, we know for a fact, I think this is fact, I, if I'm wrong, I, someone email me at canadapinball.gmail.com, that the first inaugural collector's edition game, which was dialed in, we're going to make 150 collector's editions, did not sell out. They did not sell all 150 collector's editions. And I think Jack learned a lesson on that one. We've talked about it. There was no different art. There was It wasn't enough difference to justify it. Like a ham and cheese sandwich and a dialed-in jacket is not going to cut it uh, at that price. And it, it did feel like they didn't really have a strategy. And then we get to the collector's edition of Pirates of the Caribbean. And, you know, it, it has the most amazing topper ever. Jack should never put that topper on another machine if he wants people to buy it. But that really is the only reason why. The only reason why. I think you would even want to go in on a dial, uh, sorry, a Pirates of the Caribbean collector's edition. But how do you justify that? It's $3,500 more than an LE of Pirates of the Caribbean. $3,500. And I would actually say that I don't want to look at that ugly squid guy's face uh, every day. I, I don't think, I think they should have made it the Black Pearl. I think they should have made the Black Pearl edition. I think should have had like, you know, sparkly like or, or high gloss black armor everywhere. It should have had the metallic foil like Rad Cal like ship on the side, the ship on the top. Um, they, they should have made the art more like Black Pearl themed. I, I think that would have been the way to go. Uh, it's not what we're going to get. Again, it's like, and when you're asking $12,500, uh, you think you would do a little bit more like R&D and focus group testing and seeing what would people really spend this money on. The thing is this too, is like, I understand trying to appeal to Pat Lawler fans, right? Pat Lawler fanatics were probably the target of Pat Lawler's collector's edition of Dialed In. You know, I think you will sell collector's editions of Toy Story, of Willy Wonka. I do. But like, who's really a Pirates of the Caribbean movie fanatic at this point? And that's that's the other thing, too, is I think people go in on the Stern LEs when it's just their dream theme and they want to own it. Um, the other thing I will always argue is for $12,500, instead of everything being just cosmetic, I still think Jersey Jack should put a feature or an item or different modes and code into the game that only those collector's edition people get. I, I think it, it would be smarter to do that, and you're not making that many, um, but 
it's 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 you know it just is what it is i i still think people don't understand how to launch a collector's or, or truly limited version of a game the game itself should also feel limited again that's just there needs to be features that are different there's a reason why in every other industry i follow where there's like limited versions of the thing the actual experience is different like in a car when they make a special variation the experience of driving that car is different than the base model and i just think it's silly that pinballs doesn't understand that concept all right all right you guys tracking episode 247 should we go back to christopher franchi and ask how many times he's going to be another pinball podcast no we'll leave him alone all right what's going on okay so here's what i want to talk about um i want to talk about this post that's in the big lebowski club thread which should just be closed because the big lebowski club is all but dead the club will not grow but I want to read what this person wrote because I, I, I have some commentary on it. And I want to just read you his whole post because it's from Pinsider High Def, right? And he writes, I am no longer an early achiever. And he writes it in all caps, like he's really proud. And he says, about eight months ago, last fall, I gave Dutch Pinball an ultimatum here on Pinside with a deadline of January 2018. I let it ride when January came around and Dutch Pinball led us to believe production was beginning with Zytec. The announcement of the ARA lawsuit in May was the last straw for me, especially when I asked for a refund and I was told there was nothing I could do but wait even longer and hope for a good outcome. A couple of days after my ultimatum post last fall, a certain podcaster, he's referring to Canada, decided to chime in and provide his unsolicited opinions and observations on my post. He stated the following on his pinball podcast, and he lists out what I said on this show. I said, you are not in a position to demand anything. When you invest in a company, their issues become your issues. You invested in a startup. Their pitfalls became your pitfalls. Their headaches are your headaches. Their mishaps are your mishaps. There is nothing you can do. You can't go after Cointaker. All right. He then goes on to say in his email, the irony here is that a few days later, this same podcaster posted a now-deleted rant episode where he threatened to leave the hobby and stop podcasting over similar issues and frustration he was having with his magic girl. He got on his high horse and preached to me about what I could not do or demand. Yet he did the same exact thing a couple of days later. Of course, he deleted the rant episode and apologized to Cointaker in a follow-up episode, but not once did he ever acknowledge his hypocrisy or follow up on the contradictory statements made in episode number 169. I am here to say that this podcaster should steer clear from giving anyone legal advice and stick to ad campaigns with music artists from the 80s i do want to address some of his comments all right i don't know if i should stop there no let's read the whole thing all right he then writes number one i never invested in a startup i invested in a product i coincidentally received another separate refund today from a crowdfunding company in that instance i paid $300 plus $20 shipping for a product that I never received. The company left 10,000 people out to dry. All right. No matter if it's $1 or $10,000, a company's pitfalls, issues, or headaches are not the customer's problem. 
All right, let me let me do each of these one by one. Let me let me let me deconstruct high def here because he 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 has a long tire. And I want to first of all I want to say something. If you're really comparing what I went through with Coin Taker to what you went through with Dutch Pinball, I, I think you've got a few screws loose. So you're basically saying that when I gave Chris money for the Magic Girl prototype and then I changed my mind and wanted my money back, he still had the item, all right? It wasn't like a non-refundable deal, right? All right? And also the reality of like by then... I think everyone came to the realization that Magic Girl would never work and Magic Girl was going to be broken uh, forever. I was not going to lose $10,000 on get and absolutely get nothing, right, for it. Now, should I have gone on the air and did what I did? No, I should have called Melissa and I did and we worked things out and we're still friends today and we, we came up with a solution, right? He got some, I got some. Um, you know, I lost some, he lost this, you know, potential sale, but we moved on. You, it, you, you saying that your refund with Dutch pinball is the same exact thing that, you know, you, you are in no position to demand anything back from you. Look, here's the difference. You are in a position to demand your refund from Dutch pinball, right? Because you didn't get your product. Okay. Okay. The difference is this. The difference is this. You, there's nothing you could do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, Dutch, Barry and Yop are not people that seem to me like they actually care and want to work stuff out. They, they don't. Um, Chris and Melissa, you know, and me, we work stuff out because we wanted to come up with a win-win. And But at first, it wasn't that way. You know, and look, you can do what you want to do to try and get your money back from any organization that took your money and then didn't give you something. But I think... Me putting a deposit down on an already built broken Magic Girl prototype is much different than you paying for a big Lebowski machine that you didn't get yet, all right? Okay, now look, when you invest in a company that's brand new, like Highway Pinball, like Dutch Pinball, like any pinball company, you are investing in the company. Here's why. Because unless the product is real and in box, and on a shelf or at a distributor's warehouse, you didn't buy shit. You handed Barry and Yop money, right? When I bought Magic Girl from Chris from Cointaker, it was in a box. It was in his warehouse. I was buying a product. I didn't want the product. He still has the product. He can go sell the product. When you gave Barry and Yop $8,500, where do you think your money went, right? There wasn't a game on a shelf that was like, this is high devs game. All right. Oh, now we can sell the game to someone else if he doesn't want it. So here's your money back because I already got more people that want it. You invested in them. Your money went to 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 ramping up their manufacturing. Your money went to their airplane tickets back and forth to the states. Your money went to probably everything but but your game. And that's why Dutch Pinball has collapsed because people's money was an investment in the company. It, it didn't go to a product. It was supposed to. Don't get me wrong. Like, you're not wrong. Like, you thought you were buying a product, but in actuality, you were investing in the company's ability to make the product, which is different. All right. He then goes on to say, number two, I was in the position to demand a refund, and there was something I could do about it, which I successfully did. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that point a little bit later on. 
Number three, he says, I could make several other counterpoints, but it's pointless. After all, this is the same guy who got kicked out of a pinball tournament. That's like getting expelled from Romper Room or evicted from Sesame Street. He never retracted the statements he made in that episode, which is why I am finally addressing it here. The tantrum he threw a few days later for the exact same thing was hypocritical, and I wish he would acknowledge it. Well, I have acknowledged it, Hydef. I'm reading your, your email here. Um, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Um, we, we both had money on the line for a game. We both were upset for a game, right? But I want to read the, the, the remainder of your email because I think deep down inside, what you're trying to do here, just you know, character assassinate me, that's fine. But you then are doing something in your own email that really does paint you as a selfish person. And I'm going to read the rest of your email, and then I'm gonna point out why. So he then writes, um, I won't go into details on how I got a refund. It wasn't voluntary, but I accomplished it without directly contacting Universal. Dutch Pinball could have saved money had they just refunded my money when I initially asked for it, but they gave me no other option other than to trust them. There's definitely a reason why that engineering sample was auctioned off a few weeks ago. All right, I want to stop right there. This is my main point. You came into the Dutch Pinball Club and you basically are boasting, beating your chest, I am no longer an early achiever. I got my refund from Dutch Pinball. And then you don't tell people how. You won't reveal the details on how you got your refund. Do you not see, High Def, how that is like a jerk move? Like, why are you doing that? Like, why are you starting this thread just basically calling me a hypocrite and then acting like you're some good guy within the community and then you refuse to give people the one bit of information that could help every single early achiever who right now is getting screwed over by Barry and Yop and you claim to know how to get money back from them and then you're not telling anybody. That just can we can we have a Christopher Franchi moment of silence for that kind of selfish behavior? All right, we're back, and that's that's my point. It's like these people are unbelievable. You you know, if I knew how to get you your money back, if Chris, me, Canada, if I knew information that could help you out. Don't you, I would tell you immediately. I do nothing but try to help people on this show get their money back or keep their money from going into bad pinball ventures. This show is built around that approach. And I don't think anyone out there can say that I'm not trying to look out for people and their money. But I also do understand the pain and the agony and the levels at which we'll go to get our money back when we feel like we're either going to get robbed or not going to get what we think we're paying for. All right? All right. He then goes on to say he's crushed about the game. I love that he signs off his email. Best of luck to the remaining early adopters. Best of luck. Thanks, Hi Def. Best of luck. Maybe you could like articulate how you got your refund. Come on the show and explain to me how you did it. I would love to talk to you. I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a bad guy. Um, you know, thank you for bringing up the New York City Pinball Tournament. That's cool. You know, when things, when people just can't, 
They, they just can't let stuff go. I love it. I'll always be the bad guy. But what I do love is this. He listens to the show. He's listened to all 169 episodes. He's going back and transcribing an episode I did like 80 episodes ago. That's what I love. These guys, as much as they say they can't stand me, that I'm such a cantankerous member of the community, they, they tune in every week. So thank you, Hydef, for listening, and we look forward to hearing how you got your refund. All right, what else do I want to talk about in this episode of Kinea's Pinball Podcast? Oh, let's read your uh, let's read your emails, and then I'm gonna let you guys go because I have a hungry Irish girl, and I am hungry myself, and we are going to have a good dinner, and it's a nice night to sit outside in New York City. All right, I've got an email from do 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 from Stephen. Mikola, Steven said, as a collector, his, th- his title is put me on your list. And I got a lot of people emailing me about the secret game he puts. As a collector of shiny new pinball machines, I'm definitely interested. Thank you for your consideration. Well, Steven, you're on the list because there is no list. So you're number one. Um, I got an email from Jim Collins said, welcome back. Hey, Chris, so glad you are back to the podcast. It was painful listening to some of the podcast out there in your absence, but glad you got a break and are back reinvigorated. You've piqued my interest with the last 10 minutes of the most recent podcast. If you can share any other details with me, please do. On a side note, you should go out and play a Hobbit with the new code. I picked up a Hobbit about six months ago and have really enjoyed it. The new code just adds a whole new level of polish. I didn't even know it needed. It is very much worth a second look. You hit the nail on the head at this moment for the price. There really isn't a better bang for the buck on the market. The immersion, build quality, overall package, commitment to customer service is off the charts. I'll be listening. Keep up the good work. Take care, Jim Collins. Jim, thank you. I'm glad to be back. Uh, It is because of listeners like you that I am back. I am feeling uh, reinvigorated. I wish there was more news to talk about, though. I I am saying, man, there is not a lot going on in the summer of of pinball 2018. Um, I am not sharing any more details on the mystery game. Uh, I will, if you're interested in it, I'll I'll keep an, uh, an email list of people who are interested. And when... When the creator is ready to share more of his creation, uh, I will let him know who's interested. Like I, I think if the reason why is this, is I, it's it's I don't know when it's gonna happen, you know. And I have to be honest, like in the pinball world, stuff could never happen, uh, but I know stuff is happening, um, and I know it's really exciting to me. And I know you'll be really excited when you see stuff. Uh, and I've seen some stuff. I just can't share stuff. And, and that's just the way it is. So um, I, 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 I will happily connect people to more of this thing when we're ready to talk about it. But it's, it might be a, little, you know, a few months. All right. I got an email from Leonard Tim. Sorry, his name's backwards. It's Tim Leonard. He says, hi, Chris. Um, welcome back. Just finished listening to your latest podcast. I'm interested in more info on the mystery game and being included on your list of potential buyers. Also, FYI, I was the guy, Tuna Delight, that posted Canada's back on Pinside, and my post was quickly deleted by a mod. I also received a seven-day thread eject. Imagine that. This guy posts, Tim posted, that I am just back. Canada's back in the Definitive Pinball Podcast thread and gets a seven-day thread eject. 
I started a moderator thread and let them know that I think their policy is ridiculous um, regarding you. It's silly, but no response from Pinside. Oh, well. I am enjoying your podcast as always. Thanks, Tim Leonard. Tim, thank you so much. The Pincast moderators are the silliest group of people on planet Earth. They really are. They can't get their shit together. They should just let Tiger Law be the only moderator. He's like the only one. You know who's the real issues like Force Flow and that blonde tail, whatever. They they ruin the entire site for me when it comes to moderation. Dave Sanders wrote, um, Mystery Pinball Machine. Well, this has got me curious. The Mystery Pinball person, would it be Dave Eisner? Would it? Wouldn't He said, wouldn't it be Dave Eisner? Would it? Um, it is not David Eisner, Dave, but thank you for writing in. It's always good to hear from you. Um, is the new machine lost in space? I got an email from Hugh. Uh, from Hugh. He writes, could I have possibly already played it? I give the following reasons. I was pretty impressed with the finish that I saw on the homebrew machine at Pintastic. Um, He mentioned he owns a Batman 66, um, which probably means he knows of you. Might not be because he was already at a show. Um, It did have a hell of a cool topper. It is not lost in space. Uh, I will confirm that for you guys. Uh, mystery pinball machine. I got an email from Bill Sorrow. Um, Bill says, hi, Chris. Just listened to the latest podcast. Welcome back. Big fan of the podcast. I'm not sure if the mystery pinball machine is real or an experiment to see how many high-end collectors would truly be in on something truly limited. Anyways, I'd definitely be interested in a true LE pinball machine with unique artwork and mech. So here's the thing, Bill. It is real. Like, I'm not doing market research. I know people will buy an inexpensive high-end limited run game. I already know that. Stern knows that. Jersey Jack knows that. Everybody knows that. Um, it's real also because I know it's been it's been in the works for a couple of years. Like, the guy's doing the hard work. It, this isn't like... Uh, you know, this isn't like day one, like John Papaduke, like, hey, it's going to be called Magic Girl. Hey, here's like Zombietti's talent. I haven't done any of the hard work to make sure the game works and give me all your money now. It's not going to be like that. Um, Joe from Pinball Star, Joe Newhart. Joe, thank you for writing in. He said, hey, brother, keep uh, keep me on your interested list for this new game you told me about during our recording of the podcast and are not talking about on the podcast. I want in. Uh, I see what you did there, Joe. Uh, and you are always in, my friend, on, on these things. I got an email from Edward Heron. Edward said, Canada, I just listened to your latest episode and would love to get more info on the collector mystery pin. I would love to get an interest on the interested list if possible. All right, so we're seeing a common thread here. And the common thread is this. I think the collectors out there, and there are hundreds of them, I think you guys are going to want something that is just not what everyone else has. And I think that the pinball collector market does not do that right now. I don't think anything that comes out from Stern or Jersey Jack or anyone else truly, truly gives the high-end pinball collector what he wants. And what by high-end pinball collector, I don't even mean like you have to spend like twenty, thirty thousand dollars on a big. Lo- no, no. What people really want is this: they want a limited game that is an experience that only they are having, that doesn't have a negative story attached to it, that the company who's making it, like, and the person who's making it, like, supports them and has their back, and they, and they, and that's it. That has a good story behind it, and it's gorgeous, and it's a work of artwork. And when you and you walk past it, it makes you smile. That's what they want. That's what they want. That's what collectors really, really want, right? Yeah, like a dream theme that you buy that like a th- like thousands of other people have the same exact game. Is that really what a collector wants? 
I don't think so. I think it's someone who wants to play a machine for like a year and then get rid of it. That's not a collection. You, know, you want a grail that like is not going to leave. And I think no one is satiating and scratching that itch in pinball right now. All right. I'm going to go eat dinner. I'm going to go have a nice time with Brenda. Uh, she was kind enough to let me do this podcast again. So I have to be kind enough and take her out to eat something fancy or at least tasty. All right, everyone. Have a great week. We'll be back. Um, next week, we're going to be interviewing Christopher Franchi. No, I'm just kidding. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks.